Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. Oh, you're a mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hello, you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire, and this is Bums on Seats, the only film show that still existed after Thanos snapped his fingers. I'm Alistair Ryder, and joining me on today's show are our viewers Dave Riley, Rowan Lamb, and Vicky Eyre. Plus, our engineer Ashley Capaldi will be coming out from behind the scenes in order to tell us what she really thinks of Midsummer. But before we get started, I'm going to ask everybody what their favourite zombie films are to tie in with one of this week's films, Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. So, Rowan, uh, what's your what's your pick? Well, I actually have a real soft spot for the Resident Evil films, which are objectively terrible, but... I really love them anyway. Um, there's so many of them. I don't know what order they come in, but I love watching them. Uh, Vicky, what's what's your pick for zombie favourite? I think um, I would be The Train to Busan. Um, I'm currently... I'm actually afraid of a lot of zombie films, and even though that is very terrifying and includes the very fast-paced ones, I still found it enjoyable to watch. And Dave? Shaun of the Dead for me. Any, any reason why? Because it's the greatest zombie film ever. No, it's not the greatest <laughs> zombie film ever made. It, it's just, it, it's full of everything I want from a zombie film. It's also and, probably the greatest tribute to a zombie film ever yeah, made. Yeah. And technically, it's a romantic comedy. It's just got zombies in it. <laughs> yeah. And Ashley, I know that you love zombies more than everybody here. So what's your favourite favorite zombie film? Like superhero films, I think they're all stupid. <laughs> but I like whichever one Woody Harrelson was in. I don't even remember the name of it, but he was cute in it. It was okay. Zombieland. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> The Dead Don't Die is one of the four films we're talking about today. We're also going to take a trip to the Swedish countryside uh, with Ari Aster's new horror Midsummer, and uh, we're going to get in uh, Kumail Nanjiani's Uber for new comedy Stuba. But first, we're, we're heading to the continent for the latest Marvel adventure, Spider-Man Far From Home. What up, dorks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo's. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. We could have used someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. The snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. I mean, it's kind of obvious. You're right, you may not be ready, but this is my responsibility. Saving the world requires sacrifice. Sometimes people die. So, Peter Parker, he's on a European holiday adventure in the latest one after the dramatic uh, happenings of Avengers Endgame, which I'm still going to try and not spoil, even though everybody in the world has seen it, but <laughs> it's only been a couple of months. Uh, so I'll be very vague with his plot synopsis, but here goes to Europe. Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson, needs his help to stop uh, a new intergalactic threat, and he just wants to have a fun time on holiday. It should be a, a nice little palate cleanser after 
after Avengers. What did you think, Dave, our resident Marvel lover? Oh, definitely a palate cleanser. And, um, but also, was it really a Marvel film? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, so it's come from Sony instead of Marvel, and that just made it... It felt different to me somehow. It's still very much in the Marvel Universe. There's references. There's so many references to Endgame. And, yeah, you're quite right. We should still avoid them. I think Endgame is finally finally out of the cinemas now, but I know that some people haven't finished watching it yet. But uh, it, it, it felt like it kind of meandered too much for me. I know it's called Far From Home, which I think is the kind of the silliest thing ever because he's meant to be a friendly neighborhood spider-man and they will persist in you know making him go somewhere else like outer space <laughs> for example <laughs> but he could they come back and it's nice to see all the characters back very conveniently in the the infinity war snap or what do they call it in the film the, the blip. blip the blip Oh no! The snap! Come on, people. Uh, during during that, most of the uh, most of his friends disappeared at the same time, so they all come back. They're all the same age, uh, but you do get the kind of novelness of some of the kids appearing to be five years older than they were when they left. So you've got all these junior kids who have now joined his class. There's a nice bit of interaction with new characters, but otherwise, it kind of felt like they didn't. They'd forgotten what made the first Spider-Man Spider-Man Homecoming so much fun which was all these kind of the interactions between the characters. And, yeah, you did have the benefit of Michael Keaton as a villain. But Jake Gyllenhaal, not quite as good. I don't know. I have to say I'm very surprised because you are our resident Marvel lover. I was expecting <laughs> you to be like, no, this is the best film of the summer. Nah, so, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you did touch on something interesting there. Like, he's having these intergalactic travels. He's no longer... The friendly neighborhood spider-man and this is like a world away from the the toby Maguire spider-man movies where he was this working class kid helping the neighborhood and saving the world from that neighborhood now he's a rich kid jet setting off across the world i mean vicky how did you respond i mean how does this compare to the older spider-man films um so i think uh, the new spider-man uh, marvel films are in my top tier of marvel films just because i think a lot of them um maybe Doctor Strange, I sort of um, forget about them. <laughs> uh, I came out and I'm like, oh, I watched that, that's a Marvel film, and I won't remember it as much as I like the new Spider-Man arc that's happening. Um, yes, it's um, losing its relatability of like being a... Because uh, I feel like with a lot of uh, American teen films, you don't relate coming from England. Um, but this one, it is in Europe. It's sort of like something that a lot of kids do nowadays. But it still feels like... Um, He's, like, losing his innocence, which is completely understandable, considered what has happened to him. Um, comparing it to the older Spider-Man films, I like Tom Holland the most, so I'm always going to stand up for him. <laughs> you, you, do you have something to say there? Oh, I, I made a face. I'm a Tobey <laughs> Maguire boy, but I am a lot older than Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, Dave said a word which I, I hadn't thought of, but it absolutely encapsulates my feeling about this film, which is meandering. It... It really just, it flops all over the place. It, I feel like one of the things I thought about it was that it's simultaneously far too long and not long enough. And it's far from home as well. Yeah, <laughs> and they managed, to, <laughs> they managed to pack so little story into so much film in terms of, I, I don't know, they spent a long time talking about which city they were going to next rather than what the actual plot of the film was. If they just economised on their script writing made it perhaps just a visit to a single European city, set the whole thing there, 
you know, it could have all been set in Paris for all I cared. And then the the real meat of the story would have been able to be fleshed out a little bit more. Um, it, Peter Parker's uh, relationship with MJ is wonderful, but you didn't get much of it. Peter Parker's relationship with his friend Ned was brilliant. You didn't get much of it. I don't know. It just felt like there wasn't a lot going on. It seemed like a drop in quality for me. And unlike Vicky, I don't consider the Spider-Man films to be in the top tier of Marvel. Oh. So, yeah, we'll have to uh, duke that out later. There's going to be a fight. In the car park after <laughs> yeah. the yeah. I think essentially what this film is, is just Peter Parker having a breakdown over responsibility and expectations yeah. for about two hours and 20 minutes or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you were right. It is very convoluted, and you don't really. And this is a problem with many Marvel films, but you don't really get a sense of Jake Gyllenhaal as the villain, his character outside of his motivations. I mean, was that a, another issue for you? Yeah, I don't, I grew up watching the Spider-Man comic, uh, you know, the cartoons, and uh, read some of the comics. So Mysterio as a character wasn't. A surprise to me and I love the way they handle Mysterio in this film it's one of the highlights I think and I'll watch Jake Gyllenhaal in anything but um, <laughs> completely agree <laughs> yeah <laughs> he yeah there was a it's sort of uh, his motivations and his sort of yeah character arc I think was neglected and I really would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that as well and part you know and less about the admin of booking hotels yeah, I, I did like the bits where you had uh, Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal sharing scenes together quite early on in the film, where he's trying to give him all this kind of advice on how to be a hero. But a lot of it is also, also don't forget to look after yourself as well. Mm. And I feel like that was something that the, the Tobey Maguire films actually lacked, actually. It's always like, you must be the hero, but you know, forget about yourself, you're probably going to die, it's fine. <laughs> Whereas in this one, it's like, maybe don't die, you know, you're yeah. just a kid. You Go and do some kid stuff as well. And he felt like... a kind of like a dad figure at times I was just like this is this is the weirdest superhero film I've ever watched there's a man with a goldfish bowl telling him how to date someone ah okay I mean you've actually made it sound good there yeah that's, that's, that's what the I problem. wanted I want that film man with a goldfish bowl on his head tells somebody how to date that sounds great Spider-Man Far From Home yeah <laughs> Um, Vicky, um, the last Spider-Man film, Homecoming, it was also more of a sort of teen comedy. That's how it was pitched, like an 80s teen comedy. I mean, did you still get that flavour with this one or did that feel pushed to the wayside? Um, I thought the relationship with MJ was definitely um, a part that made it seem like a very good teen comedy. Uh, it wasn't cringeworthy, their love story arc. It's a very, it's a bit jealous. I'm a bit jealous, to be honest. It's very, like, <laughs> lovely. Yeah. Um, so I still get that from it, but... Um, it, it, like you said, with Ned, loses. It's like so. These characters, the ones in Spider-Man, are the, like the. Most, I feel like they have the most likability. I feel like the most there on the screen because they're just so funny. Yeah. Um. And maybe it lost a little bit of it, and that's a shame. But it was still a little bit there, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, that's it exactly. And more of those scenes would have made the film so much better. And um, Zendaya is um, MJ, brilliant. She is utterly charming and funny and smart and everything and just she didn't get enough screen time basically I, I just want more of her fact about the different murders that happen in each <laughs> yeah. I was so interested yeah. <laughs> me googling like Black Delilah as I yeah. come out of the screen <laughs> Dahlia <laughs> um, Dave so you're our resident Marvel head so I'm going to ask you a question now and this is one that's kind of, kind of a challenge because we have to tread carefully because mm. of spoilers Jake Gyllenhaal as a villain 
is he very similar to the villain in Iron Man 3 in terms of hiding the true intentions of what he's doing? I have to speak very vaguely here. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah you, you've spoken so vaguely, I'm not sure I can answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I understand the connection you're trying to make, and I think yeah. it is an interesting one that it could keep coming up. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah. Uh, Oh, and actually, that does bring us on to kind of something unrelated to the main content of the film. Uh, end scenes are back, mid-credit scenes yes. and stuff. Right. Do not skip the Spider-Man ones. <laughs> They've exactly actually got plot in them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I think you can skip the very final one, because the final one is weirdly, like right at the very end of the credits, is weirdly just, and I'm speaking very vaguely here, it's the it's the scene in Valerian where Dane DeHaan's character is introduced. They've just remade that with Samuel L. Jackson. Wow, well, I, I don't so, know Valerian, but well, I, it's not good. But I'm just saying, <laughs> when I'm, if I'm there watching a Marvel think, film, thinking this is just this is just Valerian. I, I mean, in terms of setting up the next phase of the MCU, that scene is very important. So if you are an MCU head who wants to sort of view these films as an ongoing arc of essentially a single story that, that it's worth sticking around to the end of the credits. They're very long. This is an MCU film with four billion special effects companies working on it. So the credits are long, but it's worth sticking around for, I think. I definitely enjoyed the first post-credits scene in Absolutely. the middle of the credits. That, yeah. has a, that was probably the, the only laugh I had during the film was the, the re-emergence of a, a character from previous... Marvel films. Again, I, Marvel are great at making films where you can't really reveal much on the video. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic cameo, and uh, one that will make Spider-Man fans very happy. Yes. There we yes. Are. Yeah. Particularly um, Spider-Man fans like Rowan. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so is it a thumbs up or thumbs down on Far From Home? I enjoyed it. It was an overall pleasant film. I think Marvel films are like pizza, in that there is no such thing as a bad one, <laughs> but I think there are better films out there. That's a man who really has not seen Thor The Dark World. I, that's, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I feel really bad for Alan Winter. Everyone picks on him. Oh, no, Alan, is it Alan Winter who directed Thor The Dark World? I believe yeah. it's, Al, it's Alan somebody. Yeah, I feel really bad for him because everyone always picks on him. But, um, yeah, this is not kind of, I would say, this isn't top-tier Marvel, but it's still a nice, fun addition to yeah. the universe. So and if you, <laughs> it's great to see everyone again. So if you want a nice, fun addition to the Marvel universe, Spider-Man Far From Home is now showing at pretty much every multiplex you can name, especially the light and the view cinemas. It is a certificate 12A. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. So from the light family antics, the family-friendly antics of Spider-Man to something with a lot more bite. We're now going to the Middle America, where Jim Jarmusch's latest zombie film, The Dead Don't Die, takes place. What the hell was it? A wild animal? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. Welcome to my world, zombies. I've been telling you this is all going to end badly. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm quite confident of my ability to defend myself against the undead. I can see that. So, 
So, the dead don't die takes us to middle America. Uh, climate change has uh, <laughs> basically caused zombies to come back from the dead. Too many people have been drilling the North Pole and it's caused the Earth to stop spinning which is when the undead rise out of their graves. Two small-town police officers, played by Bill Murray and Adam Driver, joined by Chloe Seveny, are basically on the hunt to try and find out why these mysterious things are going on, and they're joined by a Scottish samurai warrior, played by Tilda Swinton. It sounds like a quirky good time. How did you How did you feel about it, Roland? Oh, I loved it. I really I loved every second of it, and I think, I just anticipating in the next few minutes, I'm not sure that everyone agrees with me but um i i thought the elements of sort of b-movie zombie films that jim jarmusch is clearly trying to i don't know if he's parodying them or if this is an homage or if it's both but the little nods to zombie films of the past the really sort of stilted script writing which I feel like is deliberate it's a Jim Jarmusch sort of classic is uh, this slightly detached way of um, speaking and uh, and his direction is often that way I just I, I thought the whole thing was hilarious and brilliant um, but yeah who knows what everyone else thought now, Vicky did you agree that it was hilarious and I quote brilliant mm. um, I'm going to say I don't think I had one full laugh throughout <laughs> I, think, I think I slightly giggled I think there was a bit um there's a line where it's like, they're just dead hipsters now. That, that definitely <laughs> tickled us. But at the same time, I don't think it was hilarious. It was just mediocre watching. I think I rate my films on how emotionally attached I get to them or how I feel um, after I come out. And this one was just very, oh, the only person I sort of liked was Danny Glover. And uh, I just come out feeling that I don't know what I watch for two hours. I'm sorry. Yeah, well... <laughs> You saying there about the emotional attachment, I totally cop to that. This this is not a film in which you fall in love with the uh, the characters, but I think that is sort of what I go to Jim Jarmusch films for, is that slightly detached, slightly a bit too cool, slightly pretentious kind of uh, filmmaking that I actually really love. Um, I, get, I mean, this is just the answer to the question, what if Jim Jarmusch made a zombie film? It's exactly what I was expecting it to be. The perform I mean, Adam Driver, I think, is the standout star of this film. He, the, just the way he moves is, I find, funny in this. I think he's a brilliant physical actor. He's so big and, like, he he's obviously a very fit man, but he's so slightly awkward in this and a little bit bumbly, but not like, ooh, bumbly, bumbly. But oh, it's just, I think his physical performance is brilliant. Bill Murray plays Bill Murray, as he always does. Um, and also I love Tom Waits. I've grew up listening to Tom Waits because of my dad playing him non-stop and I love his music and I love his acting now. Um, Steve Buscemi as well. Good to see him up and about. <laughs> he hasn't done much in a while, but he really leans into his um, role of Farmer Frank in this with his Make America White Again cap, which I thought was hilarious. I, I believe you'll find that the cap says Keep America oh, White Again. Oh, beg your pardon, uh, it does, and that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, 
Vicky, uh, I don't know how familiar, because, I mean, clearly Rowan is a big Jim Jarmusch fanboy. I don't know how familiar you are. So just coming to this from a sort of a fresh standpoint, Definitely I mean... Definitely fresh, because the only one I have seen is Only Lovers Left Alive. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what I was intrigued by is the fact that, you know, you said this was an emotionally free experience, and mm. Rowan said, well, that's what you come to Jarmusch films for. But his last film, Patterson, was a really moving, emotional film. I mean, Something that I have not seen. Yeah. No, nor have I, unfortunately. I haven't seen anything since Broken Flowers. Um, oh, I thought, you were, I thought you were a fan. What are you doing? Well, I'm an early fan, early stuff. Right. <laughs> before we got Before we got, before we got big, seen. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what I want to know, Vicky, is that as well as being this B-movie pastiche, it also wants to be a sort of an allegory for how, you know, capitalism is ruining the world, how, you know, capitalist interests are affecting the climate change destruction of the planet i mean does that that tie in neatly or does it just feel like a half baked idea at the side half baked idea was definitely yeah um yeah it's just uh i can't really explain it i think the most the guy the person with the most knowledge throughout the film is this like 12 year old juvenile detention center he's just he's the one that is saying all these things about the capitalism about the end of the world he has like the most uh knowledge i think in the film and even when he's saying, I'm like, this is coming from a 12-year-old and I'm not that engaged. And I just, I feel like there's so much absurd, absurdity throughout the film and then you come out feeling, it's like, impartial to it, as in you've watched it and it's, like, there's crazy things happening. Like, Tilda Swinton is a Scottish samurai warrior and I just walked out like, that happened and <laughs> it was, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, I was just, oh, have you got something to add? I've got something as well. Because okay. I, I have technically seen the film, even though <laughs> it kind of sent me to sleep in a couple of places. Yeah, it's just weird, because when I was asking before the show, you didn't mention it, so I just assumed, oh, no, he was... I, I he felt just... very guilty. I know I must apologise. <laughs> I'm very... I don't often fall asleep in films, but... So, it... right, can, so, can, from what you saw, I assume you can only, <laughs> like, see it as a masterpiece. You didn't see the whole thing. It, it, it kind of had pacing issues, and I'm not just talking about the way the zombies and Adam Driver were walking around the screen. <laughs> no, I, the, the problem I had was he, he is trying to make all these commentaries and stuff, but it's been done before, and it's been done way before with George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, so commentary on, you know, everyone returns to the mall because that's what drives them in life. And then also it was like, okay, so maybe he'll kind of embrace the comedy lark a bit more and we'll get something like Shaun of the Dead. And it's like, okay, I'm not laughing. Why am I not laughing? I could hear Rowan laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best thing I felt like, maybe I should just chuckle and join Is in. Is that when you woke up when like, like Rowan's booming laugh? I definitely was the, the loudest laugh in the, cinema, in yes, the screen. Were. The, the place was we, nearly empty. I am thankful for <laughs> But the thing was, it, it felt like there, there were in-jokes to be had, but only if you knew about the in-jokes, whereas in a film like Shaun of the Dead, where they've done the zombie comedy as well, there are in-jokes, yeah, but they also had a good kind of general sense of humour for everyone else in the cinema as well, whereas this one felt like it, it was targeting to a particular member <laughs> member of the audience, in, <laughs> well, in, hey. our, in our case, or, or certain people who watch, you know, the films with this kind of background. And I was just like, if you want to get it out there to engage people, you, you've got to change something to make it a little bit more accessible. It was just a bit of a... Oh. And one of the things that really annoyed me, this is when I knew I wasn't going to like the film, is the fact that it relies on basically my comedic kryptonite, which is uh, lazy meta-jokes. Jokes that basically point out that you're watching a film and the people in the film know they're watching a film, but there's nothing more fleshed out to the joke beyond the fact that they're like, well, that's the song you just heard over the opening credits. 
Oh, I see. I I love a meta joke like that, and I I think the problem is you can't. This isn't like a meta film. It's not. I think trying to be a film about zombie films, if that makes sense. But they're obviously leaning on some of those jokes. I think the commentary, having said what exactly what I just said, I feel like the commentary about capitalism is actually him just repeating that because he's seen it done in other films as if to say look this is what zombie films always repeat I, I feel like there's a little meta layer of sort of coolness and aloofness there but then he's gone and done it himself well as, <laughs> yeah i mean i was having this discussion this morning with my girlfriend and if you parody a bad thing by making a bad thing you've just made a bad thing um and, and that, to a certain he's extent, parodied, is, he's parodied a good thing and made a bad thing. Well, I think he's <laughs> yeah. saying that it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so I just, confused now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just, I think everything that sort of even down to the the fact that they looks like they shot day for night when clearly that's not a requirement anymore in filmmaking is him acknowledging the history of zombie films, but also sort of pointing at how naff they are a little bit. I just oh as as far as a a a loving message to the badness of B movies I can't I can't think of a better example than this I thought it was really sort of uh, yeah that kind of cynicism that kind of love of something bad oh I, I can't quite verbalize it obviously but I thought it was very very funny indeed Vicky has a look on her face like were we watching the same film <laughs> <laughs> um, I was about I thought that he was about to change his opinion halfway through that tangent. No. <laughs> I thought I was like he's come around like we've got him but no he's uh, sticking to his love for it yeah. it's okay Rowan <laughs> I love a fourth wall breaking joke like I said, I love Adam I Driver, don't so. enjoy a fourth wall con- cringy commentary, but it's okay. Oh. I mean, I mean, how did you act? Because I, and I don't want to humble brag here, but I saw this at Cannes during the first screening. <laughs> uh, and that was the moment where you could hear the audience basically divide themselves <laughs> uh, between, oh, this is what that film is. This isn't going to be just a fun B-movie tribute. Yeah. It's going to be something that has like loftier, more pretentious aims, but still goes about it more lazily. I mean, what was the moment where it, was it stopped It's a very clicking? lazy... I feel like when um, you have a fourth wall break, an attempt, it symbolises something, and then this happened, and it symbolises nothing. It's just straight away... These are two actors that I love, Bill Murray and Adam Driver, and then straight away I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's just quite lazy I don't I don't want to say Jim Drummond is just lazy at all but like I just thought that that part was added for no reason there was no context to it there's definitely because there is only two sort of meta jokes in the film they sort of bookend the drama effectively it's just thrown in there for no reason and yeah it, there's, there's no fleshed out to it it's just oh, it's funny I'll throw it in there's no purpose for it existing Dave yeah. have you got something I'll give it something that is the one bit that did make me actually chuckle to myself before Rowan Okay. <laughs> Before Rowan could kind of inspire me to laugh, yeah. uh, solely because the, the the joke that came across was just like, you know, the script sharing idea. Yeah. It's like so, you know, we know that it's all shrouded in secrecy for something like the Marvel films. Now, Tom Holland only gets a post-it note of what he's allowed to say because he can't be learning anything else. I did enjoy the someone. plane yeah. of favourites, as in, like, oh, Adam Driver's now above Bill Murray, but Tilda Swinton, like, has Jim Jarmusch <laughs> in her pocket kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That bit was yeah, really, was really quite good. Yeah. I think all Jim Jarmusch's films are a little bit sort of lazy, but in the 
in the sort of like slow, ponderous sense of the word. This really isn't the... selling them, Rowan. No, like, well, I, like I, love, I love a slow, ponderous, lazy film, so there we have it. Okay, so all in all, do we think that the general audience would enjoy The Dead Don't Die? It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think the facial expressions of your two poor viewers are saying everything that we need to hear. Um, so, yeah, The Dead Don't Die, it's in the picture house now. It is a certificate 15. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Anyway, we're sticking with the horror theme now as we're flying to Sweden for the most lovely festival that you could possibly attend in midsummer. How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. <sighs> what am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. It's a story as old as time. A man wants to break up with his girlfriend. A, a tra family tragedy befalls her. And so he instead decides to tag her along on a, his holiday to Sweden with a bunch of friends who also hate her. Uh, <laughs> Midsummer stars Florence Pugh and Jack Rayner as the, uh, the girlfriend and the boyfriend, respectively. It's the follow-up to Ari Aster's film Hereditary last year, which was uh, made a big splash on the horror scene, and this is his anticipated follow-up. Uh, Vicky, did it live up to the hype for you? Um, I think in my books, Hereditary is always going to be at the top. Uh, Ari Aster, as soon as he came out with that, I was like, this is now a director to follow. But at the same time, I came out of Midsummer you know, slightly sweating, shaking a little, and it took about a good a good night's sleep to be like, yes, I'm in love with this film. Maybe because I was just so emotionally di distressed afterwards. <laughs> I mean, what was it specifically about the film that sort of shook you? I mean, was it sort of the the relation, like the bad breakup drama, or was it just the horror? I mean, the bad breakup drama is definitely relatable to most girls when they watch that. Just the way that there's, I mean, Christian's just a bit of a he's one of those yeah. <laughs> but like I feel like the thing is uh, with Hereditary um, you kind of alludes to what what is actually happening around it whereas Midsummer, it really like as soon as they get off that plane you're into the descent to basically danger but you've put yourself in this situation and you just have to accept it and just that just means you're just an ang like an anxious mess on your seat for two hours and like I said earlier um, I really judge a film on my emotional impact afterwards and this one just had me like pieces which was what I love it for and why I really think Ariaster's great. I mean Vaughan I know you were a big fan of Hereditary I mean did this have the same impact for you? It really did Vicky stole all my lines um, <laughs> I also when I saw Hereditary thought this is a man who I want to follow make sure I see his films as soon as I can and this one came out saw it on 
opening night, basically, went and, and uh, got my ticket. And I was not disappointed. I think this is a really great follow-up, given how dark and shadowy Hereditary was. The fact that this film was so bright and bleached out and nothing was hidden about this film. It was, again, Vicky stole my line. It was like this inexorable inevitability of the tragedy and the horror of it was really wonderful, totally unsettling. You just, you knew bad things were going to happen, but you couldn't help there's no way of escaping it, you know. And Which is very much their situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, as soon as, I think, uh, they get there and then they realise the next day what's about to happen and those that did try to escape and then you just, they're just there. Like, yeah. they, they accept it, sort of. I think Will Poulter is very much oblivious. <laughs> but um, Yeah. I, the, a couple of the actors in this film do a wonderful job of playing brilliantly characters who you're supposed to just hate well hate's a strong word but strongly <laughs> dislike jack rayner as christian um as you said in the intro an unpleasant man all throughout he's a bit of a coward essentially in every respect like it's it's the weird thing where he's obviously a repugnant person but of his friendship group might be the best of the bunch well yeah <laughs> i um i actually liked um william harper's character is that what I, I, William Jackson is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have... He's literally just playing his character from the good place. Yeah, <laughs> I have a, a sort of a sympathy for that kind of... Um, that kind of... He's an academic, he's there to observe. He's, you know, he's the only one who's really got any kind of justification for being there, but then you get into the discussions about whether anthropology as a subject is sort of a little bit problematic at the moment and that kind of thing. You get I, his best friend to deal on his thesis yeah, ideas. Yeah, and then, you know. yes, there's sort of the, the rivalries in academia come into it and... I think, yeah, there are so many interesting facets to this film that that all of them are sort of wrapped into it in a really fascinating whole and the interpersonal relationships between each pair of characters that builds out to the, the group. Just, uh, just really, really well-performed, subtle acting performances. And Florence Pugh, I think, is wonderful. She could have easily overplayed this character and she's required to scream a lot. You heard it in the trailer just then. There's some sort of this sort of rhythmic screaming in certain scenes and, and lesser actresses would have overdone that. And I think she really manages to to carry this film. She is the star of the film as far as I'm concerned. She gets top billing and she deserves it. She's a great sort of new actress just yeah. emerged in the past couple of years and she's one of those when you see her in anything you're just like, I want to see everything that you're in yeah. now. Um, before we go over to Ashley, who I know isn't as enthusiastic, <laughs> uh, spoiler, I just want to say that a lot of critics have said that this has aspects of dark comedy in this. I mean, were the both of you laughing? I mean, Vicky, well, I know you had a traumatic experience, but were there laughs amidst the trauma? Yeah, there was definitely, like, some relatable films. I saw it with my friend, and there's certain looks that, uh, I don't know, the ginger-haired uh, girl, you'll yeah. see her in the trailer, she uh, gives certain looks to Christian, and I mean, my friends are like, that's what we would do. <laughs> <laughs> so there's still that relatability, there's still that light-heartedness, but in this very like because obviously it's such a brightly filmed and mm. uh, brightly shot film so it, it it's meant to be like like it's very played over as in um the darkness of it so i think 
Yeah. I've actually just lost that. <laughs> well, there is there is certain scenes, and certainly one towards the end, which I won't describe in detail for reasons you'll understand when you see the film. They all live happily ever after. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. The... Um, no, but towards the end of the film, there's a particular scene which is when you sort of take a step back and look at what's happening to the characters is horrific. But in the moment, you can't help but sort of laugh at certain, like you said, glances between characters or just the absurdity, in a sense, of what's happening. But it's also horrible. And there's a real interesting tension between that, the laughs and the horror, which and it's, it's not just because it's funny, it's sort of this awkwardness that this particular scene has. And it, it was interesting, you could hear pockets of the, the screening I was in, which was pretty busy, of groups of people stopped laughing at certain points throughout this scene, and eventually the whole screen was just silent because... Oh, it was it was wonderful, brilliantly written. I mean, the couple of moments that like really made me laugh are just like sort of small throwaway lines, like yeah. this. The moment where they realise what the nature of this ceremony is and this horrifying thing they witness. Um, Jack Rayner's character just said, "It's fine. It's cultural," which yes. is just such a great, great line. Yeah. I think it just describes his character very yeah. well. <laughs> and then, like the next day, people have. You know, people have disappeared, and like, well, can can we go away? No, no. There's a there's only there's only two seats in this car. We yeah. we obey traffic laws. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I oh, that that particular scene there just reminded me of another sort of like theme that goes throughout this whole film of gaslighting almost. You know, Christian is gaslighting his girlfriend at the beginning. The whole commune gaslights the outsiders. It's a really interesting sort of modern phenomenon. You know, we're all become aware of this phenomenon. I think this film analyzes certain aspects of it really well and i think throws in front of our faces the kinds of behavior that not that long ago wouldn't have been considered that bad but nowadays you know are a little bit more the control understanding that Christian the control seems to have, yeah. that he, yes exactly the control he displays over her and the 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 sort of submission to that control that danny's character shows at the beginning is it's Especially fascinating like her to situation. watch. She's just like this vulnerable girl, yeah. but then she isn't, and that's what I love about her. I yeah. love her. I think she's so good at like playing that role. Especially, um, she was in fighting with my family, and she just like ruled over that. And she's coming up in you know mm -hmm. Greta Gerwig's Little Women, and I'm just excited for what she's about to do. And I just want to recommend. I think it's still on Amazon Prime, but she's in a film called Lady Macbeth, playing the lead role, and that's one that everybody listening should see Cow. It's a fantastic film from a few years ago. Very weird, though. Um, very, very weird. Um, but, you know, Ashley, these people over here, this is these awful weird. people over here <laughs> are telling you that this film is good. Please, can you explain why they're wrong? It's... A, oh, I'm not as... I'm not on the same team as you, but I'm not on their team, but don't worry. It's, <laughs> this is... It's, this film is really, really, really well made... Oh, no, I can, I can agree with that. I uh, really, really, really get what they're trying to do. I'm on the team of which you need to give people a warning of what this is. So this reminded me a lot of The Square. Um, oh, okay. So it's if you go into that not knowing what... You can't do that to an audience. <laughs> you can't advertise a horror film to them and then have them sit there and go through this kind of thing. I don't think that's fair at all. Like, they got away with it with Hereditary a bit. I know some people who love horror and thought Hereditary was stupid, funny, not scary at all. I found it really scary. And I think it, it, it got away with it because it was so dark. But this is something else entirely which is fine, but you got to tell people that it's something else entirely. It is so uncomfortable. It's 
there are so many different themes as well. And I think the reason, the one thing I didn't like about it is because they were trying to talk to us about, well, it's not racism, what is it when it's a different racial... Like sort of xenophobia. Xenophobia, yeah. So they're trying to talk to you about xenophobia and how you think things are really weird, but that's just because you're from somewhere else. And I get that they were trying to do that, but I think they were taking the mick too much out of all of the other characters who weren't the Americans. Um, I can't remember the country this is even saying. It's Sweden. Sweden. Yeah. So all the non-Swedes, like they were held up as the, the poor victims of the story, which I get, but I think they were taking the mick too much out of all the people who lived on the commune in Sweden. I was just and really... it was so uncomfortable and weird. Like, there, there are, they do do things that are slightly different and traditional, but I think it... it it gave them a really bad rap, I think. And I was just really disappointed that Ariasta cut a Swedish chef from the Muppets. He had a cameo in it, and he just got <laughs> cut out, left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I was really disappointed but by this it. Is, this, and I do agree, and like everyone else said, um, when I saw Hereditary, I was like, I'm going to watch every single thing this director ever does for the rest of their lives. And I'm glad I did see this, and they are, Ariasta is loath to call this a horror film, doesn't think of themselves as a horror director very much. No. But I do think his work sits really well within the horror genre and is starting to do fun, new, different things. So if you're a horror fan, not a slasher movie fan, because if you're the different kind of thriller horror fan, if you know what I mean, you're going to love everything they do. And I'm really glad he's stretching the genre like this. Um, I just want to ask, um, in terms of the film being two and a half hours long, I mean, <sighs> did it really need to be that long or were you yeah. like me saying faster faster ari ari aster please hurry up why is this longer than 90 That's, minutes it's why it reminded me of the square though yeah. it's horrible and you're trapped there for two and a half hours and that's, that's what he's trying to do to you that's part of it exactly it's supposed to be excruciating uh, and excruciatingly actually, dull uh, but this oh. film <laughs> this film is 10 minutes longer than spider-man far from home and it rocketed by compared to that film for me I think both dragged. Like, Spider-Man, when it finished and I got my phone out and I saw it was, like, about 45 minutes earlier than I thought it was, that <laughs> yeah. was just a genuine jolt. Yeah. Um, Ari Aster has said that this and Hereditary were the only two horror scripts he's written. I mean, he's all of his other scripts are in different genres, most of them, like, depressing social realist dramas, but he only did horrors because he knew he could get funding. I mean, do you think his style could work mm, in other genres? That makes sense. I'll, throw this, I'll throw this to the floor because it's a hypothetical. <laughs> I take that, his line there with a pinch of salt, he describes Hereditary as a family drama. So let's see what these, these other dramas turn out to be, I, I guess. But I think probably yes. I think he's obviously a very capable film director and as Ashley said this film is obviously very well made whether you like the subject matter or whether you're interested in the sort of themes or what have you but from a technical point of view and from a emotional connection point of view in terms of direction I think he's probably good enough to do anything he wants to do um, I, I love his visual style so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he can do next yeah um, I feel like uh I don't think anything's left me as emotionally distressed as this since, like, seeing the original Wicker Man um, when I was younger. Oh, it's very Wicker Man, yeah. Yeah. True. But I would say so much so as that if you've seen the Wicker Man, why bother with it? Yes, this? you've seen this uh, as well. Uh, <laughs> because you want to just let the Wicker Man leave your mind. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, this is great to stay there. But uh, I will, I feel like, because I love horror films... Um, he is like my number one spot right now and if he does other things there's a little part of me that may be a little bit disappointed but you can't you can't force them to 
but I really love him too if he did. He apparently wants to write a family film and an animated film next. Well, this I'm looking boy. forward to them. Uh, so, yeah, Midsummer. It's in cinemas now. It is a certificate 18, so it's not fun for all the family, uh, but it is showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. Prepare yourself for a nice, fun, relaxing evening with this one. <laughs> Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Um, our final film... Uh, of the day is going to be a brand new comedy, a Stuber. Let's uh, let's take a listen to the trailer. Uber. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Drive. I'm Stu. How do you do? Koreatown. Now. Hold on. I'm gonna bang a Yui here real quick. Nope. Don't got it. He kidnapped me. We didn't kill anyone. <laughs> In Stuber, Kumail Nanjiani plays an Uber driver named Stu. Somebody at Fox Studios saw that and thought, right, I'm giving this money, this is getting made. <laughs> Dave Batista, uh, the wrestler and star of Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, plays a detective and he has just had a eye surgery. He is blinded, and he gets a call saying, well, this this guy that you've been looking for, this terrorist you've been looking for, he, he's on the other side of town. You can arrest him now. But he's blind, so what does he do? He calls he calls up an Uber, and it's like, oh, wow, Dave, Dave, it's Stu, but it's Stu, he drives an Uber. Like, wow. I mean, yeah, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit there with the plot <laughs> it's it's not really one to uh, to write home about i don't know it's it's an interesting film from the sense that i'm not entirely sure what they were thinking when they did okay there there's some refreshing things about it it's really nice to see iko uwe as a bad guy he's usually the kind of rough tough hero from films like the raid maranto so we've all seen him you know beating up all the bad guys this time he is the bad guy and for me he was the best thing in the film but he wasn't in it enough. Yeah, this time, I mean, you say, you know, you can see him being the good guy in this, and here you can't see him do any martial arts because of the shaky cam that can't even film him properly. Well, Like, also, why hire him? He's also, you know, compared to Dave Bautista, he's quite a small guy, and when they're having a fight scene together, Dave Bautista, no insult to him, he fills most of the frame. And you know, quite, all you can see is, like, his fists flying in from the side. But they only ever get into two fights in the entire film, and it's like, this, this is not really the action comedy that the... The trailer would have you think and the other trouble is it's not really the comedy the trailer would have you think it it had all kinds of stuff to it there's all this kind of family drama that dave batista's got going on with his daughter as well and it, it seemed to have some serious beats here and there but it just made me really kind of go but what about the funny thing that was happening can we finish the joke before we move on to the other and well, it yeah just... it's really sort of overburdened with plot and the plot is just collateral essentially yeah um my other issue is the fact that there's this weird love subplot with Kumail uh, Nanjiani playing Stuber, and he has this sort of his best friend who he wants to sleep with, and it's this really weird romantic subplot that has like weird undertones of misogyny. I mean, were you sort of 
that uncomfortable bit, by it because I, I was very uncomfortable by it. I, I was just, I kind of wish that part hadn't happened at all. <laughs> I think it's like, so you're on the same page as yeah, me. Yeah, I think I am on the same page as you. Yeah, it, it just felt like a, another one of these kind of sideways glances that took you away from the, the you know, barely their story in the first place. So why, why have they gone and shoved it? You know, it, it's not without good points, like I said. When, please, uh, please list these good points. I'm, well, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. When, when Iko Uwe shows up as the kind of crazy bad guy, he is suitably crazy and suitably bad guy. And that made me kind of, you know, quite happy to see that. But also, it's quite a good soundtrack on the film. So um, it's actually Joe Trapanese who's done the music. And he he's kind of teamed up with Iko Uwe for lots of soundtracks. They did the Raid soundtrack together as well. Um, but also, there's a kind of classic hits are played throughout Stu's car. He's got a library of thousands. He's got sticks. That's why he keeps everything. playing. Yeah. Uh, um, so you, you're always kind of travelling along to the film and at least the music's good even if the, the company may not be so much. And the the banter between Dave Bautista and Kamal Nanjiani is good as well. They, there's also a particularly epic and amazing fight scene between the two of them considering one of them is a pro fighting <laughs> kind of Bill Wrestler and Kimono Johnny doesn't know how to fight. <laughs> uh, but it, it's probably the best scene in the entire film. But did you not feel like there was sort of miscast because Dave Batista, his comedic strengths as Guardians of the Galaxy showing, he's playing this like very broad, slapsticky guy, and here he was sort of the dry, straight man in the comedy, and Kumail, whose you know, humour is deadpan, he was sort of relied on to be wackier. It yeah. seemed very mismatched. It didn't play to their strengths, and I think that's another reason that it's just a kind of near from me. <laughs> yeah, so final question. Dave Bautista has said that he never wants to do a Fast and Furious movie because he only wants to star in good movies. Why is he starring in Stuber? Because it's slow and not furious. <laughs> well, what more can we say? Stuber is out now. It is a certificate 15. It is showing at the view and the light. If you really want to waste your time, it's there for you to go watch it. <laughs> right. This has been Bums on Seats. Um, I would like to thank all of my wonderful reviewers uh, for joining me um, and for, you know, taking time out to watch films that weren't really the best selection this week. I'm very sorry, guys. Um, on next week's show, which is in two weeks' time, um, the films to be reviewed will include uh, the supposedly, in quotes, live-action Lion King, which is <laughs> a.k.a. just more advanced animation Lion King, and uh, many other films. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us. The show will be repeated tomorrow at 2 p.m. And uh, until next time, see you later. Bye. Bye.